Welcome to Peds in a Podcast, where our team of specialists shares with you tips on all things health and development for your little ones. My name is Leanne Tran, and I'm one of the psychologists here at Peds in a Pod. Autism spectrum disorder is one of the most common developmental conditions we assess for here at Peds in a Pod, and we provide a lot of intervention to help kids with autism develop the skills they need day to day. Today, our speechy Joanne Stephen joins us again to demystify assessment and intervention in autism. I hope you find it useful. Jo, thank you so much for joining me again. Today we're talking about um, autism spectrum disorder, which is one of the most common things that we might um, assess or provide support for here at Peds in a Pod. Um, you have a lot of experience in working with kids with autism. How do you explain what um, ASD is to parents? Mm. So a child with autism um, based on the DSM-5 mm-hmm. would display, you know, quite um, behaviours that you can categorise into the three different categories, which is there is a deficit in their social communication, there is rest- restrictive behaviour and repetitive behaviour. Mm-hmm. So I think that's based on the medical model right. um, when a paediatrician, you know, decides whether the child has autism or doesn't have autism. Um, but in the initial phases where the parents are kind of questioning if, you know, I should go down that pathway of looking for a diagnosis or seeking for a diagnosis or, or mm-hmm. clarification around why my child is presenting the way they're presenting, some of the earlier flags would be, um, I guess, a reduced engagement with an adult. Okay. Or what we define as poor joint attention. Right. So how it looks like is um, when the, when I'm communicating with the child or playing with the child, the child doesn't engage with me right. as much. When I'm you know pointing to something novel in the environment, the child can't follow my point. Okay. So that's kind of one of the big red flags. The other thing that we also kind of observe is you know the child may have quite a restrictive um, behavior around the way they play toys. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we see children lining up toys or you know, you know picking only certain colors in their toys, mm-hmm. um, and that's you know indicative of maybe some restriction in the way they play toys, um, and also a repetitive nature of how they are managing their belongings or toys. Right. So that's another big red flag. Um, the other thing we also look at is, you know, can is the child babbling? You know, mm-hmm. is there a medical um, situation that we have to be, looked, we have to be looking at? Mm-hmm. Or is it a result of the fact that perhaps they have a delayed speech development? Um, and reasons for that, you know, are they not as aware of the environment? Is there, you know, a medical explanation for that? Or could it fall under the social communication deficit? And that's where we have to manage, you know, what's going to be best looking forward. Um, and of recent, like, you know, when parents come and see me, parents do have a hunch mm, that something okay. is not quite, you know, going according to the typical development. Right. And I think when parents do have that hunch, um, I would suggest maybe just go seek, you know, some professional opinion because sometimes it's worth, you know, having a check-in and then waiting for six months to see how this pans out. Mm. But at least, you know, you're not always considering whether your hunch is right. Yes. But you're actually guided by the professionals. Yeah, I think Mm. it's always worth, you know, um, asking the question or talking to somebody to get, 
um, reassurance one way or, or either mm. some um, tips on what you can do to kind of um, keep an eye on things. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> do you think often that hunch kind of comes from um, that difficulty with the engagement? Perhaps. Um, also comparisons with the other siblings. Right. Um, and what I've often he- hear is when they look at their friends' kids, Right. They do see a quite marked difference in their development. Yeah. But yes, you're right. The social engagement, the feedback that you're getting from your child often is where the parents start looking at mm, what exactly is going on here. Mm, okay. Mm. And so we've talked um, about, you know, the red flags to look for. Mm. Um, how early um, can we start doing um, assessments for what's going on? I think at the age of two. That's when we can start doing the aid off. Mm. Um, but generally, from my clinical experience, at the age one, especially at your child's first birthday, sometimes there are some emerging red flags right. of how they're playing with their peers. Mm. Um, and parents do come and see me after the child's first birthday to go, you know, is everything okay? Um, so I think, yeah. That are just, it's just some observations that you would have made from yeah. the child's first birthday onwards to kind of guide your decisions of whether, you know, to seek professional advice or not. Yeah, sure. Mm. And some some of those things, like you mentioned, social communication involves a lot of nonverbal communication, yeah. like, um, you know, pointing at yeah. or responding to points and that mm. kind of stuff. So even before um, the verbal language is developed, mm. there are some other things we should be seeing in kids, right? Yeah. That's right. Um, and it could look like, you know, maybe turning when there's a loud sound in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when someone calls your name, do you turn and respond? Right. Um, you know, when you have someone playing beside you, are you aware that someone's playing beside you? Because in the earlier phases of play, they don't have to play be playing together, but they're playing alongside each other. Mm. But can a child tolerate someone else in their space? You know, how do they, how do they negotiate, you know, like, someone taking off their toy, you know, looking at these, you're right, nonverbal cues to give an indication of how is my child's development progressing. Mm. Mm. And there are, I mean, our paediatricians here, I think, too, are are good at supporting families early on, but there is not really a need to confirm a diagnosis that early. And there are ways to, I guess, assess the development and see if there are some delays. Yeah. Um, and make sure families can access the support and intervention that a child would benefit from mm. without kind of firming up a diagnosis yeah. until later on. Yeah. So I have seen families that, you know, have concerns mm. um, and after discussions with the pediatrician, we've decided that, like, you know, let's just run therapy for six months to see where the child is sitting at um, before even moving down the ASD pathway because it could be very well global developmental delay or something else going on um, in the child's development. So, yes, we don't jump in, especially too early on um, in the child's development. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the most... I mean, we don't jump in too early with the diagnosis, yeah. right? If there's yeah. some intervention we can do, mm. then that's that's really what they need. Yeah, yeah it's not so much the diagnosis. Mm. Um, okay. And so then um, speaking about early intervention, mm. what what is the early intervention that's provided from a speech pathologist point of view? Mm. So when the child first comes in, I would be looking at first establishing a functional means for the child to communicate. 
Okay. So that could take on the maybe gestures mm -hmm. or pointing, making right. choices for the very early learners. Okay. And then, if the child's still nonverbal, then I'll be looking at maybe a picture system or sign, or something else that the child might be willing to engage with. Mm. Um, so I think it's looking at um, when I am doing therapy, I'm looking at you know what is the child unable to tell me. Right. And feature match all of the what we call AACs, so is the augmentative and alternative means of communication, to match with this child's profile, what they need to communicate and their preference in communication. Okay. So you know, having a PEX card, if the child hates paper, hates pulling stuff out, that might be the worst choice. Right. I might need to use perhaps an iPad for the child to quickly communicate what they want. Right. So that's where I go feature matching before I embark on the journey of developing a functional means of, of communication for that child. Hmm. So that's kind of where I'll start, and I work okay. quite closely with the parents to develop and establish that at home and also in kindy. Um, just so that the child can get their needs met quite quickly. Um, and then we look at language development from there. Sure. So mm. they first need a way of to communicate with us. And then you can build on that. Yeah. Um, does that kind of come first before you do, might do other things like, um, you know, social communication and mm. play? I guess if you look at a child with autism, um, they are not as um, engaged typically, with their environment, mm -hmm. and I need to give them a means to engage with the environment. And that's generally when their requests are met. Right. So what I'm trying to do is that I'm trying to show them that if you ask an adult or a PR, you get something out of it. Yeah. And I'm trying to facilitate that understanding that social communication is important because it makes me feel happy yeah. or it makes me get what I want. And yeah. hopefully from that... I have a platform to um, introduce other social skills alongside that. Yeah, sure. Mm. But first, it sounds like it's about the power of it first. The language, and, yeah. Yeah, mm. I guess it's about the reason, right? Okay. Why to That's communicate. Right. Yep. Um, you need to build that up And first. it's not just communicating um, by saying a single word in my mm. chair, but it's approaching someone to tell someone that I need something. Right. And some children don't make that correlation very well. Mm. They don't understand that if I need something, I can approach somebody to ask for something, to exchange for something. Yeah. And that's where we're teaching them that the approach behavior is actually quite powerful. Right. Mm. Yeah. And so that sounds like it's linking in a bit with helping them understand how, how to look at the environment yep. and assess what, uh, it's kind of like the social environment, mm. right? Who's there to help and... Yep. Um, who to pay attention to yeah. and that kind of thing. Who has what I want. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pretty okay. much. Um, so there are early intervention programs mm -hmm. as well for um, children who have um, autism spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. So some of those are um, that I often recommend for families to consider. Mm -hmm. One is AEIOU, mm -hmm. um, which you know well, mm -hmm. or Autism Queensland mm -hmm. also has... Um, a program and so they're kind of ones where children go um part-time yeah, yeah so for um kind of part of their week mm. and access intervention in mm. that kind of environment can you tell us a bit about what they're like and how they work yeah so when I'm looking at an intervention 
service, what I would first consider is the learning needs of my child. Mm. You know, can my child learn in a group environment? Okay. Because AQ, Autism Queensland, and AEIU is a group environment. Right. You know, do my child have the prerequisite skills to learn in that environment? Perhaps I need to teach them some learning-to-learn skills mm. in a one-on-one session with an OT, a speech, or a behavioral therapist, depending on where the challenges, potential challenges are. Right. Not challenges in the children, but challenges to access these services. Mm. That's kind of where I would start. Okay. And then once the child has a fair bit of learning to learn skills, that's where I'll be looking at, you know, different options for them, either an in-home program, perhaps with a therapist coming in. Mm-hmm. So the child may attend kindy in the morning with a therapist in kindy with them, if they can access that group environment. If not, perhaps an early intervention service, which is a full-time service like AEIU, might suit the child. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps a mixed model um, where the child goes to kindy half that week and then goes to AQ half the week might also suit them. So I think it's looking at your learning needs of the child and, you know, how, what they can access most from those different environments. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And it's that's quite an individual thing, isn't it? Yeah. So that you can't make a, a kind of blanket recommendation. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. And I think it's just going to these different agencies and having this those chats with them. Yes. Um, going through perhaps the enrollment you know, process because they are the experts in their individual services. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to advise you about you know, whether the child is suitable or not. Um, but what we find is that whatever um, intervention you choose, there needs to be consistency. You need to give the child a fair amount of time to settle into a program, whether it's you know, a part-time placement or an in-home program or a full-time program. You need to give the organization or the service a chance to help your child settle in mm. before you can see the results. Sure. Because what we also see sometimes is parents are you know, kind of changing quite frequently. Mm. Um, And that doesn't help the child because they have to readjust to these different environments. So I think doing your research before you approach these organizations and then taking the time to decide what's going to suit your family and their needs and also your child's needs is equally critical before you embark on your journey with whatever intervention you choose. Yeah, that's Mm. a really good, good tip. Um, and I guess, you know, most times people would have uh, a speech pathologist mm-hmm. or occupational therapist they're working with who can help them. Um, Inform can, yeah, the decision. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's great. You've given um, me a bit to think about when I'm working with families now too, which is mm-hmm. great. Um, and I'm sure it will be helpful for families out there considering these kind of options. Yeah. Thanks so much for that, Joe. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Peds in a Podcast. If you found listening to us useful, we have plenty of resources on our website, including blogs, articles and videos. If there's a topic not covered that you'd love to hear about, you can get in touch with us on our website. Visit us at pedsinapod.com.au.